welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hey, I am so excited to be teaching. I'm so excited. I'm glad you're excited too. I appreciate that. I didn't say that to get a response, but I appreciate the response. Um, Yeah, I'm excited for a number of reasons. Obviously, I love the Word of God. I love that God chooses to speak to us through it. I love that He invites us into deeper understanding and revelation of who He is through His scriptures. So I love that I get to do this, but I'm also excited because I last taught about eight months ago, and it was great. I think, I think it went well. I started off though with this joke about circumcision. A lot of you know it. I'm glad that I did. I feel like it went over really well. I feel like it really made everyone laugh. You know, I don't regret it, but I think I've kind of become like the circumcision girl, (laughs) which sucks. (laughs) I just... It comes up a lot in conversation. You know, when you work at a church, it comes up a lot. And um, I'm just excited today to maybe put the past behind us to kind of redeem this a little bit. I just don't want to be known as a circumcision girl anymore. But on top of all of that, thanks for being here. Let's cut that out. That was good. That was good. John's, John's got this. Um, Hey, I get to talk about generosity this morning. We've been in this series kind of just discovering what it looks like to be the church, to be a people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live their everyday, ordinary lives. And if I'm being honest, I have rewritten this sermon so many times, (laughs) Um, mostly because there's just a lot you can say about generosity. And I've heard every generosity talk under the sun from every different denomination. There's a lot that can be said. Um, But what I felt and what I felt most strongly, I think even when we were in worship, this isn't in my notes, so I'm just gonna talk about it. I think that God wants us to gain a deeper understanding of his character and being as a God who is generous who is above and beyond extravagant to us. Um, We got kind of caught on singing, your love never fails, it never gives up. And I felt like the spirit was like, yes. Like we need to keep singing this over and over and over again. We need to be reminded of what is true. I've been thinking a lot about Pentecost. If you don't know much about it, it's this day that we read about in Acts chapter two, where the church gathers and God pours out his Holy Spirit on his people. We're here because of Pentecost. We're here because of what God did at Pentecost. And what I see in Pentecost is a God who is above and beyond generous to his people. He is abundantly extravagant to his people. And it's from this place that we have to start in talking about generosity because I could give you a bulleted list of practices, like ways to grow in generosity. And I can tell you so many things about selling your land and homes and giving it to the poor. I could go on and on and on about all of that. But what I think God wants us to know more than anything is that he is a God who is extravagant toward his people. This is what we see in Pentecost. Just bear with me. I did not write any of this in my notes. I'm kind of making it up on the fly. Yeah, what we see in the Old Testament is that God dwells amongst his people. We see this in Exodus. God 
decides to make a home with his people. His presence settles into a specific time and a specific place, and the people of God gather around that. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus, who is the presence of God in one person. That's why people flocked to him. He was God's very being and character in one person. And these things are beautiful, but what we see throughout scripture is this arc of of God's dwelling place, of God's presence settling in one specific location with a specific group of people in a specific place in time. And before Jesus leaves, he's, um, before he dies and is resurrected, he tells his disciples, hey, someone else is coming in my place. I'm going to leave, but someone else is coming. A friend is coming to you. The advocate is coming to you. Your comforter is coming to you. And I can imagine the disciples had no idea what that meant. (laughs) Like they had just spent three years with this guy who they absolutely adored and they hear he's leaving, but someone else is coming. Like, okay, I don't know what that means. But the disciples gather on the day of Pentecost with this anticipation of like, what's going to happen? He told us someone was coming, so what's going to happen? And I can imagine the excitement and just the unknown, the wonder at what was going to happen. And what God does is pour out his spirit on his people. This is above and beyond because his presence had been isolated to one place at one time and one person. And now he says, my presence is closer than your very breath. My presence is everywhere now. There's no scarcity in my presence anymore. In an act of extravagant generosity, God makes his presence available in abundance. There's no scarcity in in his presence anymore. And this is more than any of the disciples could have even fathomed. So what I see in Pentecost is a God who is abundant, whose generosity is overflowing. His favor is overflowing toward his people. This is at the core of who he is, the core of who the Trinity is between the God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And what our role in generosity is, is simply to mirror that. It's to take all of this that we receive and to mirror it to one another and to mirror it to the world. We're simply conduits of this generosity that we receive. We get to express that to each other and to the world. That's not exactly what I'm teaching on. I'm teaching on Acts 4. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts 4. We're going to start in verse 32. I think it's going to be up here behind me. Yep. So let's take a look. Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned. He brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So to be honest, for a really long time, I kind of read this and just thought like, oh, so sweet. 
I just love that the church is sharing their things. It's so cute. Like that's exactly what we need. That's what we want to get back to. Just kind of saw it as like this kind of throwaway thing. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, adorable. We love it. Um, But what's actually happening here is so much more powerful. I think that what Luke, the author of Acts, is doing is saying, hey, church, in the midst of all of the extravagant, miraculous things that the church experienced in their beginning days, in their infant stages, I don't want you to forget that above and beyond the church loved each other. In the midst of the healings, in the midst of the speaking in tongues that happened at Pentecost and the signs and the wonders, what he wants us to see is that the church loved each other and their love was expressed through their generosity toward one another. And I think this is so wise and powerful because I wonder if Luke knew the tendency of the church then and now to run after power, to run after the miraculous, to run after signs and wonders while forgetting the poor and the forgotten and the broken in their midst. I think he puts this narrative here specifically after all of the other miraculous narratives and acts that I won't get into now. You can read through the first few chapters of Acts, but I wonder if he put those here to highlight above and beyond that the miraculous love of God was made manifest in this church through generosity. I think this is maybe a word for us this morning as I was kind of praying through this and thinking through it. God brought to mind 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to just read it over us. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Church, if we see signs and wonders and the miraculous in worship, but we don't have love, we have nothing. If we get a surplus of thousands of dollars at the end of the financial year and we have amazing coffee every Sunday and we baptize hundreds of people in the name of Jesus, but we're not serving one another out of love, we have nothing. I think the church in Acts realized that they had everything available to them. Literally all of heaven's resources were now made available to them in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us that we, the church, and they had been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So all that they needed to do was simply mirror the abundant love of the Father to one another through radical generosity. What I see the church doing here is simply carrying out Jesus' greatest commandment to his disciples in Luke 10. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're just carrying that out in real time. They're taking the teachings of Jesus and making them real and tangible and putting it into practice. That's what we see in the church. And Luke directs, directly alludes to this. If you look at verse 32, he says, all the believers were one in heart and in mind, which is basically just the Jewish way of saying that the entirety of their inner beings were knit together. 
The church were knit together in their souls, in their minds, in their hearts. They were one in their decision-making. They were one in their desires. They were one in their affections. They were, love, they were one in their actions. This was the gift of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What happened there, God is saying, hey, regardless of your ethnicity, for better or for worse, regardless of where you came from, regardless if you're part of Abraham's lineage, if you're circumcised or not, had to throw it in one more time. Regardless of that, you are rooted in the family of God. You have been adopted into the Father's house. So you're not defined by your family lineage anymore. Again, for better or for worse, that's wiped out. You're defined by my spirit, by my lineage by my presence, by my resources. But most of all, you're defined by your love for one another. And I think that's the only thing that led the church to say, hey, everything I have, like you can take it all. None of this matters anymore because I'm not defined by my possessions. I'm not defined by any of the things that I have. I'm defined by my love for you. So take whatever you want. Nothing mattered more than the church's love for one another. And this is radical to me because we live in a nation that is defined by our possessions. Like literally the basis of our economy is the reality that like we love things <laughs> and we need freedom to make more things and we need opportunities to make more things and to buy more things. We love things. I love things, honestly, I love them. <laughs> But I love more than things. I love other things that I own, like my time. I love having ownership of my time. I think I believe the lie that I'm never gonna have enough time to do all of the things that I wanna do. And I'm therefore never gonna have enough energy to show up to all of the things that I feel called to. So I hoard every ounce of free time that I have for myself. And it's more than my time, it's also my pride. <laughs> I think I believe the lie that there's never enough affection, there's never enough attention to go around. And so any affection that I do get, any affirmation that I get, I have to hoard it and hold on to it and tuck it away and keep it. And any affirmation that anyone else gets, I need to be envious of it. Maybe that's just me. I feel like every time I teach, I just say kind of like my deepest, darkest things. There's no point in hiding it. We're all... We're all here. <laughs> but what Jesus has been doing recently is giving me this gentle correction. He's been saying, Amanda, my girl, like in the kingdom, there's more than enough to go around. And he's showing me that I can simply ask him for what I need, for exactly what I need. If I'm stressed about the time that I, my lack of time that I have in the next week, I can ask him for energy to get through it. And I can ask him for discernment to help me see what things to say yes to and what things to say no to. I don't have to hoard anything for myself because he wants to teach me how to do that. I can ask him for affection. If I'm sitting in a meeting and I hear someone getting affirmed, I don't have to hoard the affirmations I've gotten in the past and I don't have to sit in envy and jealousy. I can ask him in the moment for his affection and he will pour it out on me in abundance. Church, he wants to give us exactly what we need to love one another well. 
which the catch 22 to that means that often it means we have to release ownership of the things that do keep us from loving one another well. And maybe it's not just physical things. Maybe it is for you. Maybe it is possessions. But some of the things I felt were like, maybe it's a release of pride. I think sometimes there's a pride that we hoard and we hold on to that keeps us from stepping into vulnerability with people. I think he wants us to release that. I think he wants us to release the need to be right. This thing that we own inside of us that says you have to be correct and you have to have the last word and you have to win the argument. That's the thing that keeps us from loving one another and the thing that he invites us to release. I even think sometimes that there are boundaries that need to be released, boundaries that have been put up in fear of being taken advantage of. What I see in the church in Acts They are modeling for us what it looks like to surrender everything for the sake of love. And they became known for this. Let's take a look at verse 33 here in chapter four. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and then that money was distributed to anyone who had need. It says from time to time, people were selling their things. What Luke is trying to say is, hey, this was happening regularly. Like this wasn't a one-off thing or even twice. It was happening all the time. People became known for selling their stuff and literally eradicating poverty between them. There was no need among them. Like every single need was wiped out because from time to time, regularly, people were giving their stuff up. And they weren't doing this out of, I think, clenched fists and gritting their teeth. There was no way that they could give up their land being forced like that. Their land cost them too much. It meant too much. Your land symbolized everything for you in this time. Your land was passed down to you from your family, so it symbolized your lineage. It symbolized if you were wealthy or if you were poor. It symbolized if you had honor or shame in your family. Their land cost too much to just grit and bear it and forcefully give it away. Now we know that they were only able to do this through the grace that the Lord gave them. Luke says specifically that God's grace was so powerfully at work in the church. And that word grace is another way of saying that God leaned in and he showered his favor and his blessing and his joy on them. And from that place, they were able to give it all away. See, the church here is simply doing the only thing that they knew, the only way that they could respond to God's grace. They're caring for one another out of extravagant generosity. And I want to draw our attention to the fact that this wasn't a forced tithe. Like the apostles weren't knocking on people's doors, asking them like, hey, do you mind selling your land? Like the lady down the street really needs it. She's really struggling. Like, no, (laughs) that's not what was happening. It wasn't required of anyone to do this. In fact, in the next chapter, if you look at Acts chapter five, a lot of us know this story because we like joke about it a lot, but there was a couple who actually went, sold their land, 
took the money that they had, kept some of it for themselves. They lied about it. And they were struck dead on the spot. (laughs) They did the thing that everyone else was doing, but they did it without love. It's reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 13. If I give everything I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It was the Spirit who stirred the hearts of the church to go above and beyond in their love for one another. And this actually isn't the first time that we see the people of God responding with extravagant generosity. I want to look at Exodus 25. So you guys can flip there. It's all the way at the beginning of your Bible, for the most part. We're going to look at Exodus 25, verse 1. And as a little bit of context to what's happening here, Moses just led the people of God. He led the Israelites out of Egypt through Exodus. He's leading them in the desert. And I've talked about this a little bit already, but God decides to make a dwelling place among his people. He says, hey, I want to enter into a covenanted relationship with you, a committed relationship with you. And out of that, I'm going to make my home amongst you but I'm not going to do it in and of myself. I'm going to ask you to partner with me to make this happen. He asks them to bring an offering to build the tabernacle, the place where his presence was to dwell. They were going to build it and they were going to carry the tabernacle every place that they went and they were going to tear it down when they were done and do it all over, over and over and over. He makes a physical location for his presence to dwell. Let's look at Verse 2, 25, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And then he lists the offerings. It's gold and silver and bronze and all this different stuff. But he gives them really specific instructions following that. And I want you to notice that God is not commanding the people to bring something to him. He says, everyone whose heart prompts them to give will bring the offering. So only those whose wills and desires were stirred toward generosity would be allowed to bring the offering. Again, generosity is never forced. It's always an invitation born out of love. So what happens next? We're going to look at Exodus 36. I know we're flipping around a lot, but it's the word of God, so you can do it. Starting in verse 3. Actually, I'll give you a second. I know it's a couple pages. Or you have your phones, I guess. Yeah, okay, you're quick. We're good. 36 verse 3. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, hey, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. (laughs) It's funny, you can laugh. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. 
Like, did you catch that the church literally brought too much? (laughs) The people of God literally brought too much. They were given an invitation out of God's generosity to build a temple, to build a dwelling place for his spirit. And they responded with so much excitement and desire to his generosity that they brought literally too much stuff. (laughs) Moses had to go through the camp and say, stop. Like, we're good. (laughs) Literally, stop. They saw an invitation to build a dwelling place for their Lord as worth more than anything. Their hearts were stirred toward generosity and they completely blew the need out of the water. In Garden Church, this is who we, even now, are at our core. This is her, who the church has been, at her very best, who the church has been. And this is the same mandate for us. My husband, Michael, and I first came to the garden um, back in 2016, a number of years ago. And Michael actually visited the garden first. He came a couple of times before I ever did. So I heard a lot about you guys, about the church through him. And a lot of what I heard terrified me, to be honest. Um, I grew up in a church that doesn't really believe that the Holy Spirit does much. He doesn't do stuff. So I was absolutely terrified. (laughs) But as I came, and even as I started coming regularly and got hired on staff at this church, I learned so quickly that this church loved each other in a way that I had never experienced before. And it wasn't because of the parties they threw. It wasn't because of how they talked to one another. It wasn't from the marketing or the language that came on stage or worship. It was from the generosity that I saw constantly. I remember there was a season of time where people were just giving their cars away. Like it became a regular thing. Luke says from time to time. Well, from time to time, people were giving their cars away. It became so regular that I feel like on staff, we were like, oh, another car, cool. Like it became expected, but people were just giving their cars away to people who needed them. House churches were paying for months and months of people's rent. They were covering massive medical bills for people in their communities. There was a couple in our church who had just lost their job and were just really struggling financially and were stressed about this new financial strain put on their life. And another couple in our church sent them on an all expenses paid trip to Hawaii for like eight days. And it didn't just happen to them, it happened to a few people in our community. Like people were getting sent to Hawaii from time to time. (laughs) It was incredible. The generosity was over the top. And it wasn't even what was just happening here. Our generosity flowed out into the city. We had people serving at Laundry Love every single Tuesday night. We had people serving at St. Luke's Shower Program every Saturday. We had dozens of families and couples and groups of roommates who signed up for safe families. They were taking children in who needed a home. It was all over our community. I don't know if you guys were here in 2019, but World Vision, a globally recognized nonprofit, reached out to the garden because they heard about our generosity and asked us to partner with them in a new program that they were piloting. That's when we did the Chosen program. And our church, I think, helped sponsor more children than any other church had ever with World Vision. They reached out because they heard of our generosity. And these are just a handful of the stories. I literally could go on and on and on. I had to pick because I'm going to run out of time. There were so many more things that were shared. 
so many more stories. And I know that there were countless things done in the secret that no one even knows about. And I want you to know I'm not sharing these things to try to get us back to our glory days. I'm not just reminiscing to make everyone feel bad. I know that the church looks different in different seasons of its life. But also, because the church looks different in different seasons, I have the joyful call as someone who pastors this community and loves this community with everything in them. I have the joyful call to remind us of who we are and who we've always been. I have the call to remind us of our identity as a community, to remind us of the thing that has settled on us in the past and the thing that I want to see here and now. And our identity isn't something that we rise to. It's not this thing that we're given and we earn it or we perform for it. We try to make ourselves big enough to attain it. It's something we receive from the Lord. And our identity has already been given to us, church. We simply just live in a manner worthy of that identity. Our identity as the people of God is to be a people who are extravagantly, abundantly generous. And that's because we receive this identity from the Lord, who he himself is abundantly, extravagantly generous. And this is really important for us because there's a mandate on us as a church to reflect the heart of God to the rest of the world, a world that's marked by scarcity. The world says there's never enough time to do all of the things that you wanna do. There's never gonna be enough money. There's never enough pleasure, so go after everything. There's never enough attention. There's never enough of your youth left. So hold on to every ounce of it that you get and never let it go. But God is saying, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He hasn't left a single thing out. He has made every single thing available to his people. And it's really easy to believe those things in a season of abundance. Maybe that's where you are and we rejoice in that, but it's much harder to believe these things in a season of scarcity. And I think that's the season that we've just kind of walked out of and maybe are still in. So I think there's a prophetic call on our church to live into this despite the scarcity that we see, despite the scarcity that we're experiencing. I think we're called to prophetically cling to the truth that God is abundantly generous to his people and to his creation. I think that's the invitation for us this morning. Um, I intentionally didn't write an ending to this sermon um, as a practice for myself because I want to just hear what God's saying. I started with this in the beginning, but I think the most important thing we can do is root ourselves in the reality of an abundantly, extravagantly generous God. That there's no amount of practices we can give there's no amount of yearning I can say to get you to do it. it it's, it's rooting ourselves in the reality that God is more than enough and that he has given us more than enough. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.